Okay, Dr. Marie, Life Path Healings. This is my first attempt at doing a podcast and also recording for YouTube, mainly because I'm too lazy to learn how to upload to YouTube from Anchor Podcast. If you want to hear previous podcasts, you'll have to go to Spotify, look for Life Path Healings, or go to Anchor. There's a couple of other platforms it broadcasts on, but I don't know which ones they are. So today I want to talk about victim culture and shaming and honesty. Haven't decided a title for this podcast yet, but it'll get there. For maybe 23 years, I did not work with the public. I worked with people who were referred through my teacher. And they were people who had already been on a spiritual path. So there was a certain level of honesty. People wanted to grow. They wanted to become more enlightened, more awakened. And they were very comfortable with noticing their... Hmm, their shortcomings, we could call it. And I didn't have to battle my way through getting to find out what people were aware of and what they weren't aware of. There was much less presentation. There was less social media going on. There was less of the shaming culture now that if you bring anything up to anybody that they don't like, even if you're working as kind of a therapist or a counselor or a healer or a teacher, you bring up something people don't like, they will accuse you of shaming them. <clears throat> so times have changed. I work for the public now. And typically it takes me anywhere from one to five years to get just to the place where people can be honest. And in that one to five years, what am I doing is trying to make people feel safe with themselves, safe with me, self with spirit, safe with spirit, and getting to a place where they can very slowly, drop by drop, begin to be honest and talk about scary, vulnerable things in public. Until you can talk about these things, there's only a certain amount of healing that can occur. So one to five years, it gives me a better income, I guess, but it's a very frustrating process that all we're working on is carefully walking on eggshells, not saying the wrong thing, not setting somebody off, not triggering them, validating them, making sure they're okay, etc., etc. And I don't mean to put that down at all. I'm just saying it's a lot of hard work on the side of a healer or a teacher. And I find that a lot of talk therapy doesn't work much anymore. Not sure how much it worked in the past compared to some of the more structured things um, such as cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical therapy, etc. Just plain old talk share uh, therapy does a certain amount, but <clears throat> it means that there's so much work done on the part of the healer or teacher to, to carefully word things, how they're said, when they're said, how much a person can handle, uh, couching the language in a lot of protective energy so the person isn't uh, set off or triggered. 
So this brings me kind of to my first point about shaming, which is you cannot be shamed unless you're already shamed. Now, I'm going to take this away for a second from personal into sociological. When black folks were shamed for being like animals and not having any intelligence and were treated like animals and were slaves, etc., that is shaming. That is when the entire society is going against you. When you are in a poverty or you are transgender or non-binary sexuality, the culture can shame you, absolutely. If you have brutal parents who have done emotional abuse against you, yes, you are shamed. But by the time you start going to see a therapist or a healer, or you're going to a group of some kind, there can be a kind of courage that is put into place, understanding that now you are seeking out healing, you're not with the enemy anymore, and no one is there to trigger you to humiliate you and hurt you. And if you think they are, you're in the wrong healing community. You need to find another teacher, another healer, uh, another group to go to that you feel has your best interest at heart. So in the beginning, doing healing work, working with uh, shaming versus honesty and accountability is going to be very, very challenging. If someone says to you, you're a big fat slob, and you know you're not a big fat slob, you're gonna know that person is either mean or deranged, and that's the end of it. And you're gonna cut contact with them, or you might make some scathing remark back to them and then cut them off. <clears throat> but if somebody who you're going to see, who has your best interest at heart, says to you, I think you're concerned about your weight, aren't you? That is not fat shaming. <laughs> that is, let's work on this issue and get to a place where you're happier about your weight. Or if you're not happy about your weight, let's see if we can do something that will make you happier about your weight. So that's one thing um, to kind of come to terms with. It, you know, there's a really uh, popular book years ago, still is, called The Courage to Heal. I can't remember the author's name. But it's such an important title, The Courage to Heal. If you do feel shamed by someone who is purportedly helping you, then aside from just leaving, another option is to have that conversation. I feel shamed by you. What happened? You brought this up. You brought it in this context. This is what happened. And we learn from it. Another part of how the culture has been changing aside from social media presentation and you know this has been going on forever it's just now more popular i was recently talking to a handyman who worked for doctors a lot i think he also always oh, sold medical supplies before the set up hospices and stuff and he said he could bring down every single client he had because every doctor he knew was an addict meth, coke, prescription meds, alcohol, etc. So this kind of uh, presentation versus reality, I guess has been going on forever, especially 
with the advent of advertising, which creates stories and narratives that ask you to listen to those and react to those rather than research, evidence, trusting your gut feeling, trusting your intuition about what's really going on instead of buying the presentation. But it has gotten exponentially worse with the onset of social media. This is a huge block in terms of healing. Because if you don't buy someone's presentation, most people will yell and accuse you of shaming them instead of maybe laughing and saying, yes, that's my story, but that's not who I really am. A second huge block to healing, and this all goes around, I guess, the topic of being able to be honest, is honesty. When I first started working with the public, which is about seven years ago, and I was so naive and trying to be so considerate and walking on eggshells around shaming that I would have to accept people's stories about where they were at and what was going on in their life. So when somebody told me they had no money, I had to work with that until maybe a few years later I found out they had a brand new car, they had a beautiful house, oh, they were married, their husband paid all their bills, they had a kayak, they had uh, backpacking equipment, they had brand name sports clothes, they had the best tenant rackets, etc. They weren't broke at all. <laughs> I don't know, I didn't know at that time where that story came from of I'm broke. In fact, I would hear stories like, I have to work, I have to work, we're, we're going downhill, I don't have enough money for bills, and sure enough, it turned out no, the husband pays all the bills and you don't have to work at all. It somehow uh, became an excuse for seeking out healing, I guess. But it was extremely aggravating to work with people and having to wait a couple of years to get to a certain level of honesty. And it took me a bit of adjustment to understand that the public was not meditating, not working on themselves, just coming in kind of off the street, just beginning to wake up and not looking for traditional psychotherapy. So they're coming in as I'm spiritual and my chakras and my past life and my gift and my talent, etc. had not one idea about how to be honest and they weren't honest with themselves. So it wasn't that they were deliberately lying. It was how they carry themselves in life, which was to lie about everything as a way to, one, protect themselves, but I think, two, to justify emotions. Almost like I have no right to seek help or feel bad or feel sorry for myself if I don't have a good victim story, like I need money or I'm working my fingers to the bone or nobody loves me and then I find out they have a million friends or I even had one woman say uh, oh you know I can't leave my husband I have no one well it turned out she had a sister who had a cleaning business and she had friends she had all these people to help her out but her story to herself at the time because she was weeping was that I'm all alone in the world and I cannot get away from my husband Wow, you know, this is years of unwinding, this material. It doesn't go fast, unfortunately. And it takes me to, I guess, uh, 
a question mark about um, there was a new uh, syndrome identified in mainstream psychology, which I cheered about. Normally, I don't pay much attention to diagnosis, pathology, syndromes, etc. But this one uh, was something I'd been talking about for years, so I guess I liked it because it validated something. I felt maybe I was alone in the world talking about this, which is TIV, Tendency Towards Interpersonal Victimization. And it was identified as not necessarily coming from extreme chronic or acute abuse, but simply coming from a dysfunctional family in general. And we could add to that uh, a predisposition in society now to support victimization. And what it means is that the social skills a person uses to relate to other people is that of a victim. Now, in the legal system, you have to do that. You have to enhance your victim's story for the court to win your case. I have three lawyers in the family, and I'm well familiar with this, that if you want to go to court, you have to prove harm and distress and emotional distress, you know, uh, costs that you in, uh, had to uh, cover, etc., in order to win your case. However, you don't have to do that in your daily life. You do not have to do that in your friendships and your relationships. However, it has become a huge way of relating. I mean, it's predominant. It's everywhere. And it seems like maybe because we're the culture of it's America, life is great, you should be great. Uh, there's a lot of horrible new age guilt tripping about manifesting and making your dreams come true that says if things aren't going well in your life, it's your fault because you're thinking the wrong thoughts. Your negative thoughts are going to show up in your life. So anything bad that's going on in your life is your fault. Well, if I believe that, then yes, I might run around as a victim as a way to avoid being shamed for not manifesting perfect weight loss, perfect orgasms, perfect house, perfect job, perfect career, etc. All of which isn't happening because of my terrible thinking and my inability to hold a positive space for me and the world at all times. So <clears throat> I think this has all been cultivated by society. And it is something to look at for yourself is do you present as a victim and the opposite side of the victim is when things really are tough that you present as I'm okay, I'm fine. How many people do you know that say I'm great, I'm fine, then they commit suicide or you find out they have an alcohol problem or you find out their marriage is on the rocks or um, you find out they've lost their job and they haven't talked about it. So those two extremes to me are um, the symptoms of this victimization story that we all seem to be caught up in right now in this particular generation, in this era. So the main point I wanna make is, first of all, this sets you back years and years and years of hard work. Getting out of being a victim and when, of course, when you're being a victim, that means anything that triggers you is going to cause you shame. So then you can go into accusing people of shaming you. And 
what a great distraction to keep you away from your feelings and what's really going on for years, 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 years. So frustrating. So where do we start with this? I was shocked recently to uh, go to an adult children of alcoholics meeting online. I was just listening in and I guess they have rewritten that program and they took away uh, two very important steps in my opinion, taking inventory and making amends. And it, they replaced it with language of, um, we're gonna make sure that we find all the ways to love ourselves and we're gonna continue to love ourselves and give to ourselves what we deserve, something like that, very new agey. And I was so distraught in hearing that. I don't know if every meeting is doing that. Adult Children of Alcoholics is for people who grew up in an alcoholic family or any family where there was dysfunction of some sort or another. And how do we know there was dysfunction? Is if you're having a lot of issues as an adult, in terms of especially relating to people and self-esteem, you can count on you had some dysfunction in the family, which is the majority of society right now. So inventory is not meant to um, shame yourself or become a victim. Inventory is a way of becoming very, very honest and accountable to yourself about who you are, where you're spending your time, what your decisions are, how you're living your life, your character, your morality, your integrity, etc. To tell someone to love themselves when they don't know how to love themselves, my question is, what's your action plan? Like, how do you know you're loving yourself? Aside from buying stuff and using crystals and essential oils, how do you know? Because all of those responses are external and they're capitalistic. Buy more stuff, get more massages, etc., etc. So to me, inventory is a way of looking at where do I spend my time, attention, focus, and money? If I love myself, where is the evidence of that? Where is the evidence, I prefer to use the word self-care, where is the evidence of self-care in my life? How much time do I spend on myself doing things that make me feel better about me, reading intelligent books, or having great conversations with people, or building something, or creating art, or exercising more, or challenging myself in some way. How much time do I spend doing that versus taking care of others, or deflecting and using my time to not feel or to check out? So inventory in every spiritual path that I know of which is not all of them, but it's a lot. People are asked, students are asked as part of their development to start being accountable for how they're living their life and where they're spending their time and energy and their focus. <clears throat> inventory is not shaming. Inventory is not blaming yourself. Inventory is not self-criticism. And part of the beauty of learning to take inventory is learning how to be honest with yourself without beating the crap out of yourself. In other words, I can say, yes, I ate 14 cupcakes in the last two days. I'm pretty sure that's why I gained five pounds. In fact, Weight Watchers used to have you do an inventory of what you ate, I think for a week before you started your diet. 
I'm pretty sure they got rid of that because it was too shaming. You know, it's too accountable that you actually had to look at what you're currently eating. And there's no criticism about it. It's just like, this is what I'm doing, cause and effect. It can also be so enlightening. Like, let's say, let's take dieting. You look at what you're eating and you're not losing weight and you're not eating badly. You might have a medical problem. How important is that to find out? Maybe your hypothyroidism, right? So it's really important to be able to look your life in the eye and be okay with it. And yeah, you might be a little ashamed, you might be a little embarrassed, but those are healthy emotions. That's part of being mature, responsible, accountable, having integrity, keeping your word, is you feel bad about some of the things you do to yourself as well as to other people. So how does inventory begin? Well, if you were going to say a healer or a teacher, I would start with an inventory of what's bothering me. Nobody likes me. I hate myself. I blow up my relationships. I'm not sure of gender identity. I, I would see my first inventory is what's driving me towards getting some help. That would be my first inventory. And then I would look at it like if I was a mother or a father looking at a small child who was having a problem. Honey, tell me what's going on. That's what most parents say, good parents, when there's a problem with their child, they say, what's going on? Tell me. And then they ask more and more questions. What else happened? Why did it break? Where did the parts go? What do you want to do? Do you want to get a new one? Can we glue it back together? This is often why we call self-care and self-love reparenting or self-parenting because the idea of taking care of a little child or maybe for some people taking care of a pet gives them the context to treat themselves with more compassion and love rather than criticism and brutality. So if I was going for help, I would start to do an inventory of what's bothering me and where is it showing up? How is it showing up? Let's say I'm lonely. Well, how am I lonely? Well, I don't get invited anywhere. And I might look at examples. Did I, have I really not gotten invited anywhere or have I turned it down? Am I lonely because I go places and I don't know how to relate to people? So maybe it's not just loneliness, maybe I don't know how to relate to people. In other words, you're starting to do your own emotional work by beginning to examine what's bothering you and then really doing an inventory on that. How does it show up? When does it show up? How much of the day is taken up with that? How is it affecting your life adversely? What emotions are being connected to that? Let's say it's a relationship with a parent or an in-law or a daughter-in-law or a son-in-law and the relationship is just horrible. Well, I'm going to do inventory first on my own emotions about that. And I'm an inventory is specific. Last time at uh, Halloween and we got together and she said this or he said this and I felt that and I said this. And, and yeah, that seems to happen all the time, this pattern. Now I'm seeing a pattern instead of events. Patterns are different than events. Events happen like weather. Patterns are more stuck places. When we begin to do inventory, we begin to take note of what's working and what's not working. That has nothing to do with blame and shame. 
it also allows us to pick our priorities and what we want to work on. Like maybe after doing inventory on a relationship, I really find out I don't even like that person. Why am I trying to make this work? I don't like them. <laughs> if they weren't my cousin, if it wasn't my mother, I don't like this person. Wow, what a discovery that is. So you're doing your own emotional labor to begin with. And that's a great habit to develop because no matter who helps you, you're going to have to do your own emotional labor. There's, there's just no shortcut around that. But the other part that's so beautiful about doing inventory is that you start being proud of yourself that I don't like what I did, but I can face it and I'm willing to work on it. What a lot of courage that is. What a lot of character building that is. So doing inventory also stops you from getting triggered. Like if you know, if you've noticed that you're always showing off in front of company and then somebody says to you, you know, you talk too much. You might go, yeah, I do sometimes. That's it. You're not triggered. You're not accusing them of shaming you. You're not getting into self-criticism. You're just going, I'm so glad I already know that about myself. And here's some more impact of the fact that I do that. And then you can continue to work on it, which is cool. <laughs> the main thing though, is that inventory takes your trigger points way, way down. You still may flinch. Somebody says, oh, you talk too much. You go, oh yeah. I know, you know, work in progress. So it may still hurt. You may go home and cry. And that's part of healing. It's hard. It's difficult. It's not always um, that you, you know, see an archangel and your chakras all start spinning in the right direction. So the second part of getting out of this victimization is making amends based on inventory. And this is so important because if you present as a victim, you feel no responsibility for your actions. Oh, I was a victim. I was suffering so much. I didn't know what I was doing. In fact, recently, uh, someone who had um, done some pretty awful things on a personal level to me, one of my students, who never talked about it, finally when ready to talk about it two years later, could not remember anything she had done. What she could remember though is how she had been victimized by my reactions, getting angry and setting boundaries and consequences. So I told her there's no way to make reparations. You literally have no idea what you did. And yet at the time it happened for a couple of days, this went on. She was calling, apologizing for everything, just kind of throwing everything into the fire and uh, making excuses. It's my health, it's my medication, it's my I'm moving. It was everything but her own actions and such a tragedy because correcting your mistakes and improving your behavior is also amends by the way and just improving your own behavior towards yourself builds character it builds your self-esteem it's like I don't like what I did but I'm so proud of the healing I did that I was able to stand up to it that I was able to reach out that I was able to offer corrections, that I changed my behavior around it. So it's not just an empty apology and the behavior continues. It's such a powerful healing tool to make amends. Now, amends does not mean <clears throat> that I hurt you and now I'm gonna pay you back. Amends is 
I did something to myself or someone else and it makes me feel like crap. And I don't like myself for what I did, for how I behaved. Amends then are done to heal my own heart, not to heal your heart, not to fix the other person. The other person is responsible for their own healing and they will either accept your outreach Sometimes you go to make amends and you're rejected and they have a right to do that. In 12-step programs, they say make direct amends when possible, when you will cause no harm to yourself or the other person. So indirect amends work really well. I can't say enough about <clears throat> how character building it is to notice what you're doing to yourself and making it up to yourself, reparenting yourself, changing your behavior, or that you see, um, let's say uh, there's a, a, a label for people, conversationalist narcissism. So it's not being a narcissist, so to speak, but it's people that every time you talk to them, they bring the conversation back to themselves. So they're always just talking about themselves. So let's say you discover that's who you are, Somebody says, oh, my dog died. Yeah, my dog died too last year and it was really rough. And now you realize you do that. Making amends would be perhaps calling some people and apologizing for not being there for them. Making amends to yourself might be, I'm obviously not getting enough nurturing that anytime anybody brings up something painful, I have to get the attention. So I'm going to get a healer or a teacher or a therapist or join a group where I can get nurturing and comfort and feel held and understood and heard so I don't have to take it out on everybody around me. That would be making amends to yourself about being a conversationalist, conversational narcissist. Let's say that um, you're really, really unhappy in general and, and you don't even know what's going wrong. And you've racked up a credit card bill and you, you don't even really know how that's happened. What do you do about it? Well, you can go crying to somebody, oh, I didn't know and my parents didn't teach me about budgets and um, it's not my fault because, etc. And I don't know why nobody likes me and I don't know why I'm so lonely and I don't know why I'm so unhappy. Well, all of that approach is looking for someone to give you answers. And that's gonna be a disaster, I can promise you that. Because as soon as the, the someone you've chosen to give you answers gives you an answer you don't like, you're gonna blame them, you're gonna accuse them of shaming, and you will feel righteously justified in your rage against them, but most of all, you get to stay stuck. You don't have to do the work because they said it wrong, they didn't help you, their method didn't work. Very often, people who come to me are coming as a last resort. They've seen all these therapists and Buddhists and Reiki healers and crystal workers and angel people, etc., etc. And not much has changed because they want that other person or the other person does this, in fact, tries to help the person get better. And this brings in a lot more money because you're always going back to this person for help. You know that idea, uh, feed a man, 
fish and you're feeding him forever, give him a fishing pole and teach him how to fish, he can feed himself. Huh? But that's much harder. That is much, much harder because then the person has to do the fishing. They have to get the worms, they have to put on the hook, they have to go out, they have to spend the time and energy fishing. So if I don't know where I'm at, you know, credit card debt, my life is horrible, etc. where do I start? I'm going to start with inventory. What I notice the most first is probably where I should start working, which is I'm in debt. Well, how'd you get in debt? Where's your money going? Especially with credit card, it's easy. Pull out the bill, make a list, look at the evidence. It is painful. You know, to find out that you're spending, uh, you know, $200 a month on water and snacks, and then you say you can't afford a new car. You know, like, oh, I can't have a car. Well, you're spending $200 a month. You could buy a used car and make payments of $200 a month and improve your credit score as you go along with it. But first, you have to understand where your money's going. The second part of inventory is that it's going to be hard because it's going to be evidence of your choices. Granted, they may be unconscious choices, like you're used to shop at thrift stores and now you're buying everything at full retail and now you're in debt. That's hard to look at. Now you can't go, I'm so broke, I'm in debt, I, I can't afford uh, to, to uh, get my massages anymore, go to the gym because I'm in debt. Well, let's add to that, I'm in debt and I can't go to um, the gym and do all that work because I spent all my money on retail. <laughs> Oops. So that's a hard thing to look at is my money went to retail and now I'm cutting out the things that are really important to me, like going to the gym. So inventory is challenging. It's embarrassing. It's upsetting. But it is the beginning of emotional labor. It's coming in and saying to someone that you're working with, here's what I've noticed so far. Here are the things that seem to be my unconscious, un out of control decisions, and I'm not sure how to change them, I'm not sure how to work on them. Can you help me figure out a way to do that? So working with someone else, working with a group, can be really important to help you get kind of a, a wide angle look at your choices, your unconscious decisions, and to figure out a way to start making a plan to make amends to yourself. It also helps you notice your victim stories when you say, wow, this is, you know, I've been doing these things, getting these results, that tends to take away the victim part of why is this happening to me? I don't have money. I don't have time. I don't know what I did wrong. Everybody hates me, etc. Finally, taking inventory is showing spirit that you are taking the class called My Incarnation, My Life. We chose this life as a way to educate our soul. 
if we are not living this life and taking responsibility for it and looking at it, spirit is going to cause circumstances and events to happen to wake you up. Why not wake yourself up? Why not take the class voluntarily by just being mindful, self-aware, self-conscious? And if you don't know how to be a, a mindful, self-aware, and self-conscious, start taking inventory. At the end of the day, what did I do today? Where did I spend my time? What worked? What didn't work? 20 minutes. I mean, you can't spend 20 minutes with yourself. I'm sure you do that doing hair and makeup <laughs> and brushing your teeth. Making amends then becomes guided by spirit because by taking inventory and doing your own emotional labor, spirit becomes more and more involved with you and will guide you in your healing. And amends is healing. It is changing behavior based on observations. And when we observe stuff, we feel it. So when you take inventory, the other reason people don't like to do inventory is you're going to feel stuff. You're going to see what you do and you're going to have feelings about that. And all of that is learning. That's why we do things is to learn and have fun. And sometimes we get to do both together. The uh, holistic psychologist who is on Instagram and she has a website also, Nicola Perra. She has a great healer circle that has some handouts on how to do kind of daily caretaking, daily mindfulness. But anybody you work with who has any training at all um, can help you devise a daily inventory for yourself, one that's not punitive, one that looks at how to tune into yourself more regularly throughout the day, not just stopping and breathing and connecting, which is also good, very, very good, but also looking at really concrete black and white things for yourself. She has a book coming out called How to Do the Work, but that's not, I think, until March, and you can pre-order it. I would strongly suggest it if you don't know how to do the work, but ultimately, you will have to work with other humans if you want to lose the TIV, tendency towards interpersonal victimization. You have to work with other people to get rid of your shame, to learn to present yourself honestly with the attitude of, wow, look what I'm doing now. I think I want to work on that instead of, oh, poor me, I'm so horrible, I'm awful, I have no money and nobody loves me. And can't you help me? <laughs> It's been a huge learning curve for me working with the public. I was shocked, very, very shocked, um, particularly in an area of the country in Southern California, Inland Empire, where people do not like psychology. They don't study it. They don't learn anything about it. I, about a year ago, I did a workshop and it was all people from LA came out to do the workshop. Completely different conversations. Everybody knew things about themselves, they saw patterns, they had feelings, uh, they knew they were stuck, they knew where they felt bad. It was like working with uh, an advanced college group or something compared to just spending one to five years trying to get people to be honest to themselves, about themselves, without beating themselves up, without shaming themselves, and without presenting as a victim. 
So I can't say enough about what a great practice this is to start doing it. And if you're not good at doing it, I would. I love 12-step meetings. They're spiritual programs. They're not self-help. If you're shy, call in nowadays because of the pandemic. There's a million meetings. Adultchildren.org. Call in. You don't have to use your video. You can be anonymous. You don't have to talk. You can just listen and just start off because there you'll hear people who are doing inventory, who are working on themselves because all the 12-step programs, you work on yourself. And other people's stuff is none of your business. You're just working on you. So it can be pretty shocking to hear how easily people talk about what they do, the bad decisions they make for themselves, the trouble they've gotten themselves in, etc. Great place to start. I'll tell you that traditionally therapists have always had a problem with codependent or adult children of alcoholic type of clients because they're so filled with shame and they have so much people-pleasing energy that they will people-please the therapist and they're very psychic codependents and ACA type of people because the family was so dysfunctional as children they had to learn to use their intuitive psychic powers to read their parents to not get hurt to read their parents to get along and to fit in and even to get love so they will read the therapist they're often better at reading people than the therapist is and they will give the therapist whatever they think the therapist needs to hear or wants to hear in order to be happy and also for the client to get attention so it's a lot of time and money wasted on just getting past that. Deciding to start doing personal daily inventory for yourself will, um, I want to say, train you in being able to show up more and more quickly. And then you can actually start working on changing behaviors, changing patterns, and getting your life in a place that's in a more relaxed accepting open place for yourself that is when the real spiritual work starts to begin at that point before then a lot of the work is just getting people in their bodies and getting them in their lives so i hope this helps if you need a session give a holler come to a class and i wish you all well thank you for putting up with my low production value of video and uh, audio recordings. Yours in the journey, Dr. Marie.